welcome to LBC Irregulars, a Sherlock Holmes podcast radio episode brought to you by the Longbox Crusade. This is episode one of the radio show series. I'm your host, Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist, a.k.a. Death Pro, and I'll be taking you through the vintage radio show appearances of Sherlock Holmes. For the foreseeable future, I plan to focus solely on the Nigel Bruce and Basil Rathbone New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes show that aired from 1939 to 1947, although Tom Conway took over for Basil Rathbone as Holmes in late 1946. But anyways, I may step out to other radio show appearances from our favorite London-based detective from time to time, but for now, we're going to keep it in the, the 1939 to 1947 shows. Now, this is not an index show. We're not going to start at the beginning and go one by one, mainly because the history and availability of these old radio shows is an absolute rat's nest. <laughs> especially finding radio shows of a decent audio quality. Some episodes even have multiple titles depending on how and where they were released. So we're going to hop around in time and listen to randomly selected episodes on this podcast. In this episode, we will be listening to The Case of the Double Zero. It aired November 19th, 1945. And I want to thank the Arthur Conan Doyle Encyclopedia website, they are keeping me straight on all these dates and release times and seasons, and it's a good resource, folks. Once again, that's the Arthur Conan Doyle Encyclopedia website. Now, after we listen to the case of the double zero, my guests and I will discuss our thoughts on it, and we invite you to be part of the conversation. You can leave us a voicemail with your thoughts at 707-532-5269, 707-532-LBOX, or comment on the show at Longbox Crusade, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. All Longbox Crusade, or email us at contact at longboxcrusade.com. Your comments just might get played or read on a future episode. Now it's time for the show. Let's dim the lights, travel back in our minds to a London of the past, through the chilled and foggy streets to 221B Baker Street. episode from the life of Sherlock Holmes will be transmitted to our men and women overseas by shortwave and through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Petri Wine brings you Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, Invite you to spend the next half hour listening to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. And say, let me tell you something I found out just the other day. Steaks are really back again. Good, thick, juicy porterhouse steaks. <clears throat> That's for me. A thick, tender steak on the rare side, together with a glass of Petri California Burgundy. You know, Petri Burgundy is a perfect mealtime wine. And with meat or any meat dish... It's the very last word in good eating. Honestly, when you taste the wonderful flavor of that rich red Petri Burgundy, you're tasting one swell example of the art of winemaking. It's full-flavored and just about the most delicious wine that ever poured from a bottle. Try it the next time you have steak or chops, or the next time you have hamburger or pot roast. Believe me, Petri Burgundy is the best friend a good meal ever had. And now let's look in on our good friend and host, Dr. Watson. Come in, come in, come in. Ah, there you are, Mr. Bartell. Evening, Doctor. Just in time to join me in a cup of coffee. Draw up your chair, young fellow, my lad. Thank you. Ah, that's it. 
Well, Doctor, you told us last week that tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure takes us to the south of France. That's right, Mr. Bartell. The south of France in the year 1900. A beautiful playground bordered by the bluest of blue seas and populated with an extraordinary cross-section of cosmopolitan Europe. Rich man, poor man, beggar man, thief. All of them attracted by that Riviera paradise. All of them drawn by the magical spell of a small white ball spinning round the rim of a roulette wheel. Now, don't tell me that you and the great Sherlock Holmes were there on a gambling spree. We were not, Mr. Bartell. <laughs> At the time my story begins, we just concluded an extremely delicate mission. A mission, I may say, that uh, concerned the safety and good name of uh, a very prominent member of the royal family. Say, Doctor, you don't mean... Uh, one story at a time, Mr. Bartell. In any event, my boy, I'm afraid that's the case about which my lips are sealed for all time. But to return to tonight's adventure, one June evening, I persuaded Holmes to accompany me to the gambling casino at Fregius, not far from Cannes, where we were staying. It wasn't quite as fashionable as the casino at Monte Carlo, but as I intended to do a little more gambling myself, it seemed an establishment more suited to my means. As we stood there... At the green baize-covered tables, the chatter of voices and the melodic chanting of the croupiers, as they called the results of each spin of the wheel, formed a background to a quiet conversation that Holmes and I were having. That number 10 must come up soon. Oh, why not cut your losses, old fellow, and come for a stroll with me on the water? Well, just a big wig. A couple more bets, Holmes. I, I have a feeling that 10 is bound to come up in a minute. <laughs> Watson, I believe the blood of a gambler courses through your veins. Oh, there's no harm in taking a little flutter once in a while. Why don't you risk a few francs, Holmes? Oh, no, thanks, you, my dear chap. The law of averages convinces me that my money is safer in my pocket. In any case, I'm a little dubious as to the integrity of this particular casino. Huh? What makes you say that? Well, you will observe that this roulette wheel has a double zero. Most continental wheels have only a single one. It would indicate that this house is extremely concerned with its percentage. Mesdames et messieurs, fait pour Oh, just two more turns of the wheel, Holmes, and I'll take that walk with you. Why do you not come from the other side of the table? Why must you always stand next to me? Hello. Good trouble up there. I've placed my bet, so, so let's go and see. I ask you, sir, why do you play here beside me? I'm afraid I don't see any reason why I can't play wherever I... Squish you. You've broken my luck. Ever since you come to the table, I've done nothing but lose. Please, to move away. Well, move away yourself if you don't like my company. Heinrich, why do you not stop now? You've already lost more than we can afford. One more toy, son. I can win it all back if only this young man will move away. Why should my husband move? He's had a bad run of luck, too. Ah, you've lost again, Watson. Heinrich, you must stop now. I must stop inside because I've lost everything. I hope you're satisfied, Mr. American. You've broken my luck and ruined me. I hope that you and your turn will be ruined too. Heinrich! Heinrich, wait for me! I never heard such rubbish in my life. Were you listening to him, sir? I heard his last few remarks, Mr... Uh, Gilbert. Roger Gilbert. And this is my wife, Helen. How do you do? My name is Holmes, and this is my friend, Dr. Watson. How do you do? How do you do? Didn't you think his remarks were a little out of place, Doctor? Yeah, I certainly did, Mrs. Gilbert. I don't see how he can possibly blame your husband for his run of bad luck. I didn't like the look on his face as he left the table, though. Have you any idea who he is? His name is Schneeman. He's staying at the same hotel as we are. I've never spoken to him, but I've heard of being paged there. Well, you shouldn't gamble unless he can afford to lose. Well, I'm losing, darling, and I can't afford it. Oh, that's...
I can let you have more money. You know that. Oh, no, Helen, I, I may have married an heiress, but I'm not going to use her fortune to gamble with. Oh. <laughs> I'll lose my own money, and then I'll quit. Here comes it, monsieur. Take for You're off, Ted Watson? Yes, Holmes. This time I know that number 10 is going to come up. It's got to. I've lost again, darn it. Helen, this is my bad night. Well, why don't you stop now, dear? Holmes, I've made 350 francs. On this throw of the wheel, old fellow, but as you've lost some 500 francs doing it, I can't say that you're quite stagger me. Oh, Mr. Holmes, <laughs> I can see that you're no gambler. I'm afraid not, Mrs. I Gilbert. I not say that, Holmes. Uh, you may not like roulette. You've taken a good many chances in your life with long odds against you, too. Well, nevertheless, old chap, in the sense Mrs. Gilbert means it, I'm not a gambler. Oh, I think Hey, where's the commotion over there? That German woman with a crowd forming around him. Yes, yes, the wife of that man that said I ruined him. Attention! Attention! Est-ce qu'il y a un docteur dans la salle? There must be trouble. He's asking for a doctor. A doctor? Come along, then. Will you excuse me, please? Thank you. Excuse me, madame. Well, I mean, a doctor. Monsieur, cette dame a besoin d'un docteur. What happened, madame? It is my husband. Is he ill? I just found him lying out in the garden. Please come with me at once, gentlemen. Uh, of course we will, madam. What seems to be the matter with him? Herr Doctor, I think he is dead. He's lying by that tree, Doctor. Please see if you can help him. Somebody else seems to be on the scene before us. Who are you, sir? I am Monsieur Chabray, director of the casino. Do any of you know this poor man? I am his wife. Is he? Is he dead? I, I am afraid so, madame. Let me look at him. I'm a doctor. Was your husband gambling in the casino tonight, madame? Yeah, he was. Poor Heinrich. He lost everything that we have. I'm afraid he is dead, madame. Shot to the heart. Oh, to leap of God. Suicide, Watson? Yeah, looks like it. Mm, yes. Powder burned on the shirt front. Revolver clutched in the right hand. Fingers in a natural position. The angle of the wound settles it. Obviously self-inflicted. I missed you as you slipped out of the casino. What's wrong with him? I'm afraid he's dead, Mr. Gilbert. Yes, he committed suicide. I hope, young man, that you are satisfied. All night you brought him bad luck. He asked you to move away from him to change his luck, but no, you could not do it. Oh, Frau Schneeman, I'm terribly sorry, but I really don't see how you can blame me. I do blame you. And I also blame you, Monsieur Chevry. He... But what have I done, madame? Why do you let a man lose all his money at your tables? Is life so cheap to you, and money so important, that you can't close the tables to someone before he's ruined? Madame, I am all sympathy for you in your tragic loss. But the casino cannot be held responsible. If your husband could not afford to gamble, then he should not come here. How are we to know the financial limitations of our, of our customers? You said your husband lost everything you had tonight, madame. Yeah, Everything. Then how do you account for this sheaf of banknotes in his breast pocket? Good Lord, it must be several thousand francs, sir. Then he wasn't ruined. And his suicide, therefore, cannot be blamed on his losses at my casino, madame. How do you account for this money, Frau Schneemann? Well, I do not understand. Heinrich kept nothing from me. I know that he had not so much money on him when he started tonight. Uh, well, why do you all look at me like that? Is it that you think? You think... Quick, why don't you it? I've got a... Please, just get her to her room. You can take her to my suite in the casino. No, let's take her to the hotel. My wife will look after her. Poor woman, she's had a dreadful shock. She can probably do with another woman's company. It's very considerate of you, Mr. Gilbert. Where are you staying? At the Hotel Creon. 
It's quite near here. I'll get a cabin. While I'm doing that, Watson, see if you can revive her, will you? Then we'll take her to the Hotel Crayon. Very kind of you, Mrs. Gilbert, to let us bring the poor lady into your suite. But the least I can do, in spite of what she said about Roger bringing her husband bad luck. I'm sure she'll need your help when she wakes up, Helen. Yes, I think you'll find that she'll sleep for some hours. I gave her a strong sedative. We were just about to have a drink, gentlemen. Do you care to join us? Oh, thank you, sir. That'd be very nice, Mr. Gilbert. Roger was just telling me that quite a large sum of money was found on Herr Shadman's body, Mr. Holmes. Uh, Yes, Mrs. Gilbert. Several thousand francs. It's puzzling, Holmes. Why should a man commit suicide with so much money on him? I think the answer is obvious. He didn't. What on earth do you mean? Well, the money was placed there after he had shot himself. The banks were in his breast pocket, if you remember. Not the usual place to carry money. Though it is the easiest pocket for someone to insert it without disturbing the body. But why on earth should someone place money on him after his suicide? To prevent the casino from getting a bad name. I've heard of it being done on several similar occasions. Gives the impression that the unfortunate victim had other motives than gambling losses to account for his suicide. Great, Scott. You mean that one of the casino employees found the body lying there and slipped the money in his breast pocket before we arrived on the scene? As you know, my dear Watson, I'm not a gambling man, but I'll lay you a hundred to one. That is what happened. Well, that's a new one. Well, here are your drink, gentlemen. Oh, thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Say, Helen, Mr. Holmes has given me a brainwave. Another one? What is it this time, Roger? Now, I've been losing very heavily tonight. Roger, I've told you. If you need money, I'll be only... But I don't. I've got a scheme for making some. I'm going to gamble again tonight after dinner. If I lose, here's what I'll do. I'll stain my shirt front with red ink, walk out in the grounds, fire a shot, and lie down as though I'm dead. I'll wait for someone to come along and stuff my pockets full of banknotes. (laughs) Not a bad idea, Mr. Gilbert. (laughs) I think it's a darn good one. What do you say, Mr. Holmes? It's a whimsical one, at any rate. Who knows? You might even be successful. Roger, you're not really going to do it, are you? Sure. Perhaps I'll get some of my losses back that way. (laughs) Well, let's drink to it, gentlemen. At least I may have hit upon an idea of making money. Watson, you'll have to work hard at your practice when you get back to England. Your infallible system appears to be extremely fallible. And yet the fellow who told me about it said it couldn't miss. It's just a matter of doubling the stakes each time you lose. Oh, and then... my dear fellow, I've been studying your system. But I can tell you a really infallible way of making money at roulette. You can? What is it? Well, own the gambling house and operate the tables yourself. The odds would be all in your favor. Oh, what a brilliant suggestion. Own the gambling house and Not gambling for tonight, Watson. Nearly 11 o'clock. No, I think so. Let's take a stroll around the other table, shall we? By the way, old fellow, the young American, Mr. Gilbert, was losing heavily again tonight. He was? I wonder if he'll try that trick that he threatened. The one with the red ink and the shot in the night. I shouldn't be at all surprised. As a matter of uh, interest, I saw him leave the tables about half an hour ago. (laughs) Here comes his wife on the arm of Monsieur Chevry, the director of the casino. Good evening, Mrs. Gilbert. Monsieur? Bonsoir, monsieur. Hello, Mr. Holmes. Dr. Watson. Monsieur Chevrolet is giving me a personally conducted tour of the casino. Quite fascinating. And uh, it is quite fascinating for me to have so beautiful a woman on my arm, mademoiselle. <laughs> I know that I am the envy of all the men in the room. Oh, stop <laughs> flattering me so much. I'm not used to it. Mrs. Gilbert, how is um, Frau Schneemann? She seems much better. She wakened an hour ago and insisted on going back to her own room. 
I wanted her to spend the night with us in our suite, but she wouldn't hear of it. I think I should drop in and see her before I go to bed. Oh, you have finished the gambling for tonight, perhaps, Doctor? Uh, No, perhaps about it, Monsieur Chevry. I've had a bad run at the tables. Oh, I am so sorry. Has anyone seen Roger? He left the tables about half an hour ago, Mrs. Gilbert. After doing as I did and losing quite heavily. So he lost again, did he? I wonder if he'll try that uh, new system he was talking about. <laughs> we were just discussing that possibility ourselves, Mrs. Gilbert. Mrs. Gilbert! Mrs. Gilbert! Rashleman, you shouldn't have left your hotel you now. It is too late to worry for me, Herr Doctor. It is for Mrs. Gilbert now that you should worry. What do you mean, madam? Well, I went back just now to where poor Heinrich died. And there, lying in the grass, I saw another body. I was too shocked to go too close. But I am quite sure that I recognize your husband, Mrs. Gilbert. Oh, Dr. Watson, she's ruined Roger's trick. And he'll have taken fright and bolted by the time we get there. Possibly. Maybe let's go at once and find out, shall we? He, he hasn't gone. He's, he's still lying there. The most convincing spectacle. That red ink really does look like blood. Yes. And blood sometimes looks like red ink. Mr. Gilbert. Roger, get up. The joke's spoiled. Roger! Get up! I'm afraid that's impossible, Mrs. Gilbert. He's dead. Dr. Watson's story will be continued in just a second, which is all the time I need to tell you that the easiest way I know to transform a simple meal into a feast is to serve that meal together with Petri California Sauterne. Petri Sauterne is a delicate white wine that's the perfect companion for chicken or turkey. Turkey. Ah, yes. Turkey and Petri Sauterne. That's the heart of any Thanksgiving dinner. Look, why not make this Thanksgiving dinner the best one you ever had? Give it the air of a banquet. Serve it with Petri Sauterne. And when you buy that Sauterne or any wine for your Thanksgiving dinner, whatever you do... Look for the letters P-E-T-R-I, because a Petri wine is always a good wine. Well, Doctor, so the young American's joke turned out to be another tragedy. Yes, Mr. Bartell, the poor fellow was lying there dead with a bullet wound in the heart and a great splash of blood staining the whiteness of his shirt front. What happened next? Monsieur Chevry, director of the casino, took the distraught widow away from the scene while Holmes and I examined the body closely. Within a few minutes, we were joined by Inspector... Uh, Ganivet of the French police. As we stood there in the moonlight, the sounds of music we heard from the casino. It was hard to believe that two men had died in that lovely garden since the moon had risen. Monsieur Holmes, you and Dr. Watson have concluded your examination. Yes, Inspector Ganivet. You favor me with your observation. You say that you are certain that this is not another suicide. I'm sure of it, Inspector. Look at the wound. The bullet entered the body at a direct right angle, whereas a self-inflicted shot is always fired obliquely. Yes, that is so. Then uh, you suggest that this man was shot from above as he lay on the ground pretending to be dead. I'm convinced of it. Why, Monsieur? Well, for two reasons. Though it's impossible to be sure without elaborate test, I'm certain that beneath those blood stains are stains of red ink. Look for yourself, Inspector. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed it does look like it. What is your other reason for being certain that this man was shot as he lay here pretending dead? I'll show him the banknotes, Watson. Uh, here you are, Inspector. We found them stuffed in his breast pocket. So, banknotes with a bullet hole through the middle of them. Very illuminating. Uh, tell me, gentlemen... 
How many people knew of this, uh, this little plot you have told me about? This plan of the dead man's to pretend to be shot? Just three people, Inspector. Dr. Watson, myself, and Mrs. Gilbert. Hello, then the answer is obvious. You and your friend are innocent. It must be the wife who killed him. No one else knew of the plot. Mm, I'm not so sure of that. Frau Schneemann, the dead German's widow, was in the next room when Gilbert told us about his plan. She might have heard, though I could swear that she was asleep. I gave her a very strong sleeping draft. From what you have told me of her husband's suicide, she might easily have had a motive for murdering this man. Oh, come, 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 gentlemen. Surely it's obvious who murdered Mr. Gilbert? Who, Monsieur Holmes? Certainly one of the two widows. Since there seems to be some doubt in your minds, I suggest we return to the casino. I can promise you the answer to your question within a very few minutes. Monsieur Chevrolet, now that we're all assembled in your office, I shall sit down quietly and let Inspector Ganivet conduct his examination. No, 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 Monsieur Holmes. No, you have handled the case so far. Please to con- continue it to the end. Yes, Monsieur Holmes. I should appreciate it. And be happy that you see now. Very well, gentlemen. It won't take me long. Frau Schneemann. Yeah, Herr Holmes. Uh, what time did you leave your hotel tonight? Well, I do not know what time it was. Well, what made you leave it? Uh, I could not sleep. I knew that they had taken poor Heinrich's body away, but I felt that I must walk back there. It was the last place I saw him alive. How close did you come to Mr. Gilbert's body when you saw it lying there? Oh, close enough to see who it was. Then I ran into the casino to tell his wife I knew what had happened. How did you know? You say you uh, didn't come close to the body. I could tell by every line of the body as it lay there. I could tell because I knew that poor Heinrich's death would not be avenged. Thank you, Frasheman. That will be all. You may go. Monsieur Holmes, she has no alibi. Surely you should... Inspector Ganivet, if I'm to conduct this investigation, I must do it in my own way. Pardon, Monsieur Holmes. Please continue. Uh, You may go, Frasheman. Mrs. Gilbert? Yes, Mr. Holmes. Where were you prior to our meeting in the casino tonight, just before we discovered your husband's body? After I left the hotel, I walked over here along the seafront. Can anyone verify that statement? I suppose not. I didn't meet anyone that I knew. And what did you do when you arrived at the casino? I played a little chemin d'affaire. A few months later, Monsieur Chevron came over to the table and asked if he might escort me over the club. Ten minutes after that, we walked into you and Dr. Watson. That is quite true, Monsieur Holmes. I can swear to it. Thank you, Mrs. Gilbert. I'm sorry to distress you with these questions. You may go. I'll wait outside, Mr. Holmes. I must know what happened. Wait for me there, madame. I shall join you in a few minutes and escort you home. Ah, well, another suspect with a poor alibi, alibi, eh, Ganivet? I must say, Monsieur Holmes, your methods puzzle me. It seems to me that both those women should be watched. Yes, I agree with the inspector, Holmes. Please don't worry, inspector. I've asked two of your plain clothes men to keep an eye on the ladies. And now, Monsieur Chevray, I'd like to ask you a few questions. Ask me any questions you wish, Monsieur Holmes. Thank you. You will agree that it is the custom of the casino to put money on the bodies of suicides after their death. To give the impression that gambling uh, gambling losses were not responsible for the tragedy. Well, I, I do not think... Oh, come now, Chevre. I know that is a fact as well as you do. Exactly. Now, on those rather gruesome occasions, whose responsibility is it to secrete the money? Yours? Or do you entrust the matter to an underling? I do it myself. I see. Did you place the money on Herr Schneemann tonight? Yes, monsieur, I did. And did you also perform the same service on the body of Mr. Gilbert? No. I knew nothing of that death until the German lady, Frau Schneemann, running into the casino. Excuse me, interrupting, Monsieur. Uh, of course, Inspector. What is it? I think that you are wasting time. It is obvious that Madame Gilbert committed the crime. She knew of her husband's plot. She had no alibi, and she had the motive. For is not uh, 
<laughs> Marriage itself, the greatest of all motives for murder. Oh, my dear Inspector, I'm very cynical. Madame Gibbert did not kill her husband. I know it. And what is your opinion, Watson? Uh, it's a German woman. She had no alibi either. And remember, she was half mad with, with grief. Mr. Chevrolet, you say that you know Mrs. Gilbert is not guilty. How do you know? I was with her myself at the time the murder was committed. Oh, indeed. How very interesting. And what time was the murder committed? Well, it, it was... It, it was... Our investigations have never established what time the murder was committed, Monsieur Chevrolet. I'm afraid you've walked into my trap. You've given yourself away. Great Scott Chevrolet, it was you. Chevrolet, I've known you a good many years, and this is going to be a hard thing to do. I am going to arrest you. Oh, no, you're not, Chevrolet. Put down that revolver, sir. Do not be frightened, Doctor. I am not going to shoot you. Chevrolet, why did you murder Roger Gilbert tonight? Surely you know that too, Monsieur Holmes, because I am in love with his wife. She's young, beautiful, and rich. It did not occur to me until I saw the young fool lying there tonight pretending to be dead. In my profession, it is natural that I should carry a revolver. What was simpler? Mr. Gilbert gave me the perfect opportunity. I, I could not resist it. Put down that revolver, Chevrolet. Why are you all so frightened? Surely you know how I am going to use it this time. I think so, monsieur. But it's a coward's way out. What an unperceptive remark for such a perceptive man. No. No, all my life I have been a gambler. I gambled tonight for the highest stakes of all, and I lost. No. No, I'm not afraid to pay for my losses. Au revoir, monsieur. An extraordinary case, Holmes. I never suspected Chevrolet. And I, old chap, suspected him from the beginning. Well, I wasn't the only one who was stupid anyway. Inspector Ganivet thought it was the wife. True. Very puzzling conclusion for a detective inspector to arrive at. Well, it seemed logical enough to me at the no, time. No, 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 my dear Watson. Cold logic should have told you otherwise. Roger Gilbert had been losing heavily and had planned the hoax. He obviously had no money on him. Therefore, the money was planted in his pocket by Chevrolet. After he shot him? No, my dear fellow. Before. Before? The bullet hole through the banknotes provided that. Now, uh, had the money been put there innocently, Gilbert would have, um, well, you know, come back to life. As soon as the person placing it there had left, he would not have remained lying on the ground for a murderer to find him. And Chevrolet must have bent over him as he lay there, placed the money in his breast pocket, and then fired. Precisely, Watson. Well, I must say you solved it very neatly. You've told Inspector Ganivet that you wanted no credit in the case. Naturally, publicity would be unfavorable. If you remember, no one is supposed to know that we're in the South of France. <laughs> I'm certain that the inspector learned a few tips about detection tonight. Possibly, old fellow. <laughs> and I hope that... Uh, you have learned a few things about gambling. How do you mean, Holmes? Well, you're backing the wrong color. Huh? A gambler is usually superstitious, and superstition... Well, I should have told you what color to follow tonight. I still don't understand you, Holmes. I was playing number ten. Exactly. Number ten is black. You should have followed a red color tonight, old fellow. The color of red ink. Red ink. And blood. <laughs> Hey, Doctor, that was a swell story. Now, I didn't know you liked to play roulette. Well, you know, I figured out a system for roulette. It's like yours. Um, every time you lose, you double your money and keep doubling until you win. Oh, it's a great system, Mr. Bartell. There's only one thing wrong with it. What's that? You lose, you go broke before you win. <laughs> look, look, take, take my advice. Don't gamble. You can't beat the laws of chance. Uh, but suppose I bet on a sure thing. Like what, for instance? Oh, like the fact that Petri wine is always good wine. It is, you know. 
because the Petri family has been making wine for generations. They've been handing down from father to son, from father to son, the art of turning luscious, sun-ripened grapes into delicious, fragrant wine. Ever since the Petri family started their business way back in the 1800s, they've been perfecting the art of winemaking. That's why Petri wine is always good wine. The Petri family took time to bring you good wine. So no matter what type of wine you prefer, why not take a few seconds of your time to look for the letters P-E-T-R-I. They spell delicious wine, Petri wine. Well, Dr. Watson, what new Sherlock Holmes story are you going to tell us next week? Next week, Mr. Bartell, I'm going to tell you of a strange adventure that Sherlock Holmes and I had when we were in Stratford-on-Avon many years ago. It concerns an actor, a mysterious boating accident, and several dead butterflies. This sounds good, Doctor. I'll see you then. Oh, fine, but now, now, don't forget, next week we're going to broadcast our program from the Paramount Theatre in Hollywood for the Victory Loan Drive. So if any of our friends are going to be in Hollywood, we'd love to see them there. Just buy a victory bond at any store or bank on Hollywood Boulevard, and in return, you will be given your ticket of admission. Better hurry up, though, before all the seats are gone. Let's really buy lots of those victory bonds. Let's finish the job. Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure is written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and was suggested by an incident in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story, A Study in Scarlet. Music is by Dean Fossler. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. This is Harry Bartell saying night for the Petri family. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studio. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Okay, now it's time for our highs and lows of the episode. But before we do that, let me introduce my special guests. Joining me one at a time, we have Mr. Alan J. Porter, author of a couple of Sherlock Holmes stories, a couple of James Bond books, a couple of this. He writes a lot of stuff. Welcome to the Sherlock Holmes podcast, Alan. Thanks, Joe. This I thought was interesting. I'd never actually heard any of these radio shows before, so this was a whole new world for me. So, Really? First yeah. time? Okay. Yeah. My brother Jason, who I'm certain will be on a future episode, he and I had a couple on cassette when we were kids, and that's kind of how I got into radio shows, and they were these Rathbones, so... It's kind of a part of my childhood, so I'm excited to share that with you guys. So let's keep that theme going. I want to welcome Pat Sampson, the founder of the Longbox Crusade Network and host of Amazing Spider-Man Chronicles to the show. Pat, welcome to 221B. I know you've been here before, but have you ever been here on the radio? You know, it's been here before. You're right. I haven't been here before on the radio. I was kind of wondering why I needed to show up here at 221B. Let me tell you, I was just kind of lying on the floor at LBC, just kind of relaxing there. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, somebody stuffed something in my pocket. Oh, And I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. I I thought it was maybe some money or, or, you know, credit card receipts or or something like that. So I dug it out and then it said, I needed to uh, come to 221B. I'm like, pay some debts off. But I'm like, wait a minute. I thought we were... Just about done there, but why are we coming back? Hmm. Mm, we've renewed our lease here for the radio yeah. show. It's just as we left it. It is, yeah. And, you know, luckily there were some things that I left here 
Pryor. Um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, some, some stash. Yeah, no, might... say no more. Okay. Say no more. And I want to welcome my third guest. Yes, we got three people on this evening. We have Delvin the Dark Web Williams from Transformers Chronicles right here on the Longbox Crusade Network. Delvin, welcome back to 221B. Thank you for having me, Jared. Uh, I see they spruced up the place a little bit. I, I didn't think we wrecked it too bad, but man, I guess the Airbnb folks like, really know how to do their stuff here. So uh, good to be back. <laughs> yes. For those of you wondering how we can be back on a first episode, if you're not Longbox Crusade listeners, we went through every episode of the 1954 Sherlock Holmes television series uh, with Ronald Howard and H. Marion Crawford. And we really like that. If you want to check that out, that's on our other show called Saturday Matinee Theater. There are 39 of those episodes to check out. So uh, all these guys have been on that show at some point, and they're going to be joining me now as we dive into the radio shows for the first time. So we've all heard the double zero season six, 1945. It's time to do our highs and lows. What did we think? I'm very excited. Seems like nobody here has done these radio shows before. So uh, we'll start with Delvin. Give me a high or a low in first round, sir. I'll start with a high. And the high is maybe predictable. You know, you hear Holmes and Watson. It's It felt like home again. It was nice. It, it really was. <laughs> it, just like, oh, I, it's, it's nice to hear the adventures of Sherlock Holmes and, and John Watson. And I really do like the presentation of how it was done because every iteration that I've seen of Holmes and Watson, Watson usually is the scribe and he is writing down the adventures of the, you know, fantastic adventures of this extraordinarily eccentric man and the absolutely madcap adventures that they get into. And this was kind of a different presentation where he was just sitting down and recanting the story like to an old friend. And I, that was a new presentation. And I liked how they used that and, and wove that in and out of the story. An old friend who's really big on Petri wine. <laughs> <laughs> that is P-E-T-R-I. <laughs> well, I'm glad you like that format because that is absolutely the format of all these shows, Delvin. It's always Dr. Watson telling a story to the Petri wine guy. I think they changed sponsors. Uh, about halfway through the series. So there's a different sponsor in, in the first half, I want to say. Yeah, hey, we'll figure all that out together. And uh, let's just keep this moving along. Pat, first radio adventure, Rathbone and Bruce. What do you think, man? I found it, like Delvin too, very charming the way that it was introduced to you as the listener. How they w- wove that in, you know, the Petri wine guy just kind of coming in to talk to Watson to understand the story that was going on. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to pause it here. I'm going to go get me some wine because this is going to be a nice story that's going on. And, you know, I'm like, well, what do I have the red with the hamburger or do I have the white with the chicken as well? You know, I, and I'm like, you know what? I'm doing both because this is <laughs> good to have here. It's and so I, you I made it, what, eight, nine minutes into the episode <laughs> before you, you faded right out. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, what was funny, I was uh, drinking the red and it spilled right on my shirt. And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> I see what you're doing there. <laughs> yeah. I, I, is that ink or what? And I'm like, I didn't know what was really happening. <laughs> Enough kidding around, though. But I really enjoyed this one. It was quick to the storytelling and it got to its points kind of had you a little bit guessing of, of what was happening and maybe who did it. But once they started to go through, I'm like, okay, I think I know who, who done it maybe about 
halfway through had my guesses on on who it was at the time because i'm like well they weren't there and this person wasn't there but what was going on i just didn't understand why the that guy would do it you know I, he obviously was making some money in the casino owner right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but mr uh chabre i think was his name sure <laughs> i wrote it down uh <laughs> Can I add? I kind of like the explanation. Dude was like, I'm a gambler. His wife was hot. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> dang. All right. Life, life, well, life wasn't valued as much 100 years ago. As it yeah, is I know. Ago. I'm like, you're going to give that all up just for whatever. But <laughs> and, and what was also funny, too, is that they're like, okay, well, this lady's husband was just you know, well, he killed himself or whatever. They're all making jokes and whatever. Okay, let's go lie down in the bed and we're going to be out here making jokes about what just happened. I'm going to redo it so I can make some money because I'm, you know, I'm. <laughs> oh, by the way, anybody wants some drinks? That is. <laughs> well, Pat, you know what? One of the main reasons I picked this one to start with is I've listened to, I don't know, maybe a dozen or so recently. And that one was one of the earlier ones I listened to. This one here, the double zero. One of the reasons I liked it is because it was such a whodunit and there was multiple characters. I was like you. I was like, I was probably about halfway through before I started kind of figuring it out. And and that's kind of made it memorable to me. And that's why sure. I picked it, this that to start this one off. I didn't want to pick one that was too predictable for the first yeah. episode. I want to hook no. you guys with the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but I got to tell you, I have never heard a bad one. They're all fun. They all sort of whisk me away, you know, into a, a storytelling time in my mind. And that's what I like. Into the past, Jared. It was right there. <laughs> and, and it really wasn't a time demand either. <laughs> Fair enough. Let's move on to uh, Alan. Alan, you waited patiently. What did uh, you got highs? You got lows? What'd you think of this? First go around, I'm going to go with highs. I agree with Delvin and Pat. I really liked the sort of meta version of the introduction with the sponsor host then sitting down with the character and the character start telling the story. So I was trying to work out John Watson's age because he was in 1945 talking about this happened in 1910. And so I was like, I'll forget it. Just go with it. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, I really liked that. And I particularly liked it actually at the end where it went back to Watson and they were talking about what would next week's one. And he was talking about the fact that if the soldiers turn up on Hollywood Boulevard, go buy their war bonds and show that they can get tickets to the next showing and stuff. And having Watson talking about that as well, I thought was, again, just bringing in the characters. I thought it was a really interesting sort of look at how these sort of radio shows were done for the troops. I mean, it was clearly aimed at the troops. I don't know if it was the general broadcast or if it was just on armed forces radio or how it was done, but it was clearly aimed at the troops. So uh, I thought it was a really interesting snippet of the sort of entertainment that was done for the armed forces towards the end of the Second World War, particularly on the American home front. And that thing about, you know, turning out and getting tickets to the next taping of a future episode and stuff I thought was fascinating. I think I actually enjoyed those sort of the rappers maybe more than I enjoyed the story. But we'll get to that in the next round. Well, they really do give you a lot of context. There's a lot of historical. Thank you. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for, context. Yeah. Absolutely. And to answer your question, this was broadcast on NBC radio, national broadcast. Okay. All right. Radio. So what's a broader audience? Yeah. Uh, for a broad audience. But what's interesting is as I've been finding these and downloading and saving these episodes and curating my own collection of them, all the ones that are of a pretty decent audio quality that survive seem to be the armed forces version of the broadcast. So uh, I'm certain there's a history there that I'll 
I'll try to reveal more as I find out on these uh, episodes. Yeah, that'd be interesting to know. So let's get into our second round. And uh, Delvin, what do you think? I'll add a low of sorts. And the low of sorts, I don't know. It it possibly could have just been me. I thought the action was a little bit hard to follow. And I also thought that the premise of a casino planning money on people to make it seem like they were committing suicide because people lost money at the casino was a little bit contrived. But I I have to kind of shrug my shoulders at that because I don't have much experience with casinos in the 1930s. So I don't know if that is how they would operate or not. But it just seemed a, a little bit contrived to me. Not terribly so, but just enough where it was just like, mm, I, I can't say that I was fully, fully invested into the story, if you get what I'm saying. I do. Uh, one of the notes I made here says, Roger Gilbert, which is the American guy, is the king of bad ideas. <laughs> I'm going to go out there and pretend I've been murdered after this other guy just killed himself. It's like, I don't know. It feels like there's a lot of things that can go wrong here. This seems like a bad idea. And all all you need is for one thing to go wrong. wrong. (laughs) Well, see, I thought what made it me thinking is that like that guy was in on something and he was trying to scam and try to get some money somehow. But I guess he was, but got what was coming to him for some reason by the owner, the casino owner guy. Chabre. Chabre, yes. Well, you've got the mic, Pat. Proceed. I myself found it fascinating and could be just like you, Jared. I do have a love for, you know, radio dramas, things like that, just because it takes me back. I I know I think I've probably mentioned that one time or two where younger having a tape recorder and I recorded you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, I recorded it on cassette so I could go back and listen to it at night in my head and just picture everything that I saw, have it all play out in my head, in my my mind's eye. And I just love that kind of stuff. And I think they did a really, really good job to do it. And they were doing it live in front of a live audience just to hear them go through it and not stumble and not have many issues. Talented people. And production as well. That's a really good point, Pat. You had to be true professionals. I mean, of course, they still do live theater you know, to this day. And you have to be really good on your improvisational skills because, yep, you're probably going to know 99.9% of the lines. But if you freeze up at a certain point, it's like, you better be able to do that good tap dance and keep going. And I didn't really detect any breaks like that in the show. So that was very high quality professionalism. Yeah, there was, it was in my notes, actually, there was a couple of quick stammers or uh, a misread line that happened in this, but they really were professional, like you said. And I was going to ask you guys if you noticed that it was recorded live. Like, there are little mistakes, tiny little mistakes, but... Yeah, I was going to say, I just kind of caught it at the end, because then you can hear the, the, you know, the audience applauding and things like that at the end of it. So I'm like, I I really like that aspect of it. Alan. Yeah, I'm going to go negative here on the story. You you, you mentioned the uh, I'm going to lie down and pretend to be dead thing. I mean, as soon as he said that, it's like, well, you know what's going to happen to that guy. Um, yeah, it was a bit on the nose. I found it. Um, for me, the biggest sin was the fact that Sherlock Holmes solved it because he knew something that had actually never been shared with the audience. Pat mentioned it is the casino policy of putting money 
in the pocket of somebody who committed suicide. And he said, you know, oh, this is standard. You know, I know this is standard casino operating policy. And it's like, where did that come from? It was just something that Sherlock Holmes knew and he introduced. But we as the audience had never had a hint of that. And I don't like mysteries where stuff is solved because the detective has prior knowledge that's never hinted at or shared out. Or right, shared. I got you. So for me, that was a big sort of no-no in storytelling-wise, and that put me off. Um, and I didn't like the horrible stereotype accents either. The French and the German accents were so stereotypical. But it was of the time, so probably let that one slide. So, yeah, the the story... I thought it was a lesser Sherlock Holmes story. It was, a, it was a reasonable melodrama, but I didn't think it was worthy of Holmes, personally. And I will say, you probably won't let me back on the show, I'm not a big fan of this iteration of Holmes and Watson. So, sorry. Hmm. I'm, not a big Rath- <laughs> I'm not a big Rathbone fan. I don't, I don't like the relationship between Holmes and Watson. I think they treat Watson as an idiot in most of the... Yeah, we, we did talk about that on... Uh, so, when we covered the Rathbone and Bruce movie... House of yeah. Fear, I think House is what Fear, we did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, those are my negatives. But like I said, I thought it was a having heard him heard it for the first time. I just thought it was a very interesting example of what was done at the time. No, so, I can't. Thank you, thank you for inviting me. I uh, uh, to listen to it because uh, I thought it was it was fascinating. Well, cool, and hopefully you will join us back. But you know, fair warning: there are a ton of these, and most of them are played for, like you said, dramatic entertainment, and not as much. Holmes mystery solving as we may like. I have another complaint. The narrator said, let's sit down for half an hour with Sherlock Holmes. So the actual Sherlock Holmes content was 23 minutes and seven seconds. <laughs> Not half an hour. Not that I timed it or anything, but it was 23 minutes and seven seconds out of the half hour. So, <laughs> Well, yes, Watson or Nigel Bruce really carries the radio show. In fact, I can tell you behind the scenes that Rathbone was trying like heck to get out of it after a while. He was done being typecast to Sherlock Holmes, didn't want to do it anymore. Nigel Bruce really liked doing it. <laughs> so that's why I think in the last season, there's that Tom Conway, I think is his name, takes over as Sherlock Holmes. But uh, yeah, all fair points, Alan. All fair points. I can understand where Alan's coming from, but I thought this gave me, you know, that fun vibe we had watching the Sherlock Holmes series that we did before. So I was like, okay, you know, these aren't going to be super sleuthy ones, but they're going to be fun to yeah, listen to. They're just charming, I think is the right yeah. word. I find them to be very charming. So the only note that I'll add, because I have my own notes and I can let you guys cover, and you guys covered about everything I had, but the only one I, I noted that made me kind of laugh is, and this kind of goes back to what Alan was saying about the relationships between Holmes and Watson. Holmes is like an absolute killjoy. For Watson, he's like, ah, you know, you suck at gambling. <laughs> and then at one point, Watson even won some money. He was like, hey, Holmes just won 300 francs. He's like, that almost makes up for the 600 francs you've already lost. <laughs> <It's> like, Shut <laughs> up, you a hole. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, look at me. I'm Sherlock Holmes. I know everything. <laughs> <laughs> he's just a complete killjoy. That made me laugh. But yeah, um, that is about it for our highs and lows. We will get right into the ratings. You guys know how it works. If you've been on our network before, we're going to rate this on a scale of one to five pipes. Five means you loved it and it solved your mystery. Four means you really liked it. Three, you thought it was pretty good. And two, it was like, eh, it wasn't so good. And one, you hated it. It threw you off of Reichenbach Falls. 
It's rough. Let's get the low one out of the way first. Alan, what, <laughs> what gave what you the hint that mine was going to be the low one? Can I do 2.5? <laughs> no, Joe's nope. not here. Uh, well, I'm going to go low then. I'm, yeah, it's going to be a two. It was a uh, for me. So. Hmm. Alan, are you going to do anything with those extra pipes then, Alan, no, or something I can not <laughs> maybe just no, you know, no, Pat, yeah. Pat, come on, what, what, let what, let it go. When in London, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Alan gave it a two, not so good. That makes me sad. But hopefully, he'll come back and maybe try some others. And maybe we can find one that suits his fancy. Pat, what do you think? One to five. I am going to give this one a three. I liked it. Thought it was fun. It's a high three. I'm interested in hearing some other ones to make the rest of the comparison on this. But uh, enjoyable. I sat and I listened to it all the way through. I really like how they weave the selling of whatever product they got going yeah, on. It's good stuff. <laughs> Delvin. I'll give it a three also. And heck yeah, I, I did want a steak at the end. Just a little bit on the rare side. You know? <laughs> I was like, steaks mm-hmm. are back. <laughs> oh, big way. Oh, yeah. Man, yeah. steaks are like big boy. Never left, man. <laughs> I mean, go on. Like, I can always use a juicy steak. So I think I've mentioned this before, but it's always worth mentioning again. Like, I never thought that I would listen to radio, right? And it's cool. It is cool to just kind of just sit what? there and stop and listen and use your imagination to figure out what's going on. And it's cool. I like the entire concept of it. It's podcasting before podcasting, you know? <laughs> it really was. It really was. And what I liked it too is I like listening back to it because in my mind as an, an editor and what we do, I start taking ideas, you know, especially for the, the LBC crew show. Basically, we were kind of doing that. We're not doing it live in front of anybody, but you know, we're we're weaving in that storytelling that's going on with some background noise and production like that, and it's really cool. Definitely, I, I like the experience overall as well. I listen while I'm walking in the mornings, and uh, I am a sucker for these. I actually agree with Alan. I think the Rathbone Watson relationship might be one of the one of my least favorite relationships between the two characters, but I still find the charm in it. And so I, I would rate this one a four and I'm a sucker for these things. I remember I had them in my childhood. So there's nostalgia involved. I want to point out one other thing though. we talked about sort of the historical time stamp of the world war II era. That's one thing I also caught Delvin. You and I were just going to joke about stakes are back in a big way. They were rationed up until 19. This is November of 45. So the war is finally winding down yeah so he wasn't Damn. like even being like a salesman like he was like literally we could go find steaks again yeah what a good point man i would have been surly had i've been around you make a good point because i hadn't really thought about it about rationing here in the states because in the uk rationing carried on until 1955 so I just sort of assumed that things were more normal here in the States. So I hadn't actually thought about that comment in terms of the end of rationing. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. again, that context word. Yeah. Okay. One of the fun things about doing these old radio shows. I love the old commercials. I love those little context nuggets we get. So, well, that's cool. I'm glad that you guys uh, at least found value, even if you rated it a two. I think you at least found value in it and had a good time with it. And that is it for this episode of LBC Irregulars, a Sherlock Holmes podcast. I want to thank my guests 
and let's see where they can be found on the internet. And I want to pass it to Alan. And Alan, I would love it if you don't forget to mention the Sherlock Holmes books that you've written for so people can maybe find your work. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Alan J. Porter or my website, alanjporter.com, which actually has a link to our books, bookshop.org site, where you can pick up copies of the Sherlock Holmes anthologies that I have stories in. Awesome. Pat, where can people find you? Well, Jared, I'm glad you asked. You can find me on the Twitter at Christatos01. Delvin. You can find me on Twitter at D-E-E underscore R-A-Y 1977. And of course... I am Jared Albrecht and the Yard Sale Artist. You can find me at Yard Sale Artist, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Or check out my website, www.theyardsaleartist.com, which does include a bunch of different Sherlock Holmes iteration sketches to include Rathbone and Bruce. And remember, you can leave us a voicemail with your thoughts. Become part of the show. Call us at 707-532-5269. That's 707-532-LBOX. Or comment on the show at Longbox Crusade, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, or email us directly at contact at longboxcrusade.com. Your comments might be read or played on the show. Thank you for joining us. As a reminder, we could not do this show and all the other shows on the Longbox Crusade Network without the support of our Crusaders Club members over on Patreon. And you can join their ranks for as little as $1 a month at www.patreon.com slash longboxcrusade. And we'll now thank our Crusaders Club members as we ride off in our handsome cab. I've been your host, Jared Albert, the Yard Sale Artist, and I look forward to you joining me on the next episode. And Helica Wolf. Oh, Auburn Elvis. Blast it or stash it. Braxton Underwood. Captain Entropy. Clinton Robinson. Dave Collins. Battle Wagon himself. Ezra Gallo. Gary Viola. Gene Hendricks. Gerald Green, Jason Keane, Jeremy L. Jim Jamin, Jim Jamin, Jim Jamin, Jim Jamin. I hope you like Jim Jamin too. Joe Thomas, John Watson, Josh Strickland, Candace Ward, Kathy Bright, MVP, Mark Ross, aka Cluck Trent, Maxwell Traver, Miranda W, PD Devins, Paul Hicks, Rick from Jeff and Rick Present, Rob Morgan, Ryan Daly, Samantha Maney. Sean Urbanski, Spidey67, Spreadsheets, Steve Cronin, Tim Price, Tony Pennington, and Toronto Cop. This episode features the copyright-free music, Shattered Glass by C.J. Beards.